For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, with episode 32 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I am here with Kyle F as always, and we are here to talk about Syracuse basketball with a win, finally a win that we can talk about, a blowout win at that. And we're also going to throw in a little Syracuse football schedule talk because they, they have released the 2022 schedule. So a lot to get to, Kyle, and it's nice to be here on um, positive terms as opposed to the, you know, what is wrong with Syracuse basketball talk that we continued that seemed to be ongoing for several episodes. I believe last episode, by the way, was our longest episode to date um, time-wise, which says something because that episode was just us lambasting Syracuse for every reason you could possibly come up with. Um, I called Jim Beheim out at some point. Um, you shouted at fans that were being crazy. And I know we'll talk about fans. I do want to bring that up at some point in this Um Man, it was it was a lot. And this Syracuse team pulled a complete 180 on us in the span of approximately three days. And so, you know what? We're going to win. Maybe it was for the Intentacumpos. We'll discuss them in a little bit as well. But, man, I, I don't understand where this came from. This is like the Cincinnati Bengals. But instead of two years, it's like 24 hours. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. A new year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Yeah, we, we'll get into that, but before we get into that, I do want to get to Syracuse football schedule. It was just released Monday night. Um, it's it's an interesting schedule to navigate because there's there's a uh, heavy home slate at the beginning. There's a heavy road slate at the end. And in the middle, there's some of the better opponents that they're going to play this year. So it's it's really interesting. I'm, I'm going to kind of read through it. I'll get your thoughts. I'll give mine, and then we'll get it into basketball. Season opens on Saturday, September 3rd against Louisville. Every game from here on out that I mention is a Saturday, unless I state otherwise. So I don't have to keep saying Saturday over and over again. So September 3rd, Syracuse opens the season at home against Louisville. So the first time in two or three years that Syracuse is playing at home to open the season, and it's against a conference opponent and against a conference opponent that has pretty much owned Syracuse the last several years. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Then Syracuse hits the road in week two, September 10th at UConn. Then three, actually four straight home games after that, September 17th against Purdue, 
September 23rd, which is actually a Friday. So there's the one non-Saturday game of the season. It's a Friday night game in the Dome against Virginia, Syracuse's second non or second conference game of the season. Then October 1st against Wagner at home. The following week is a bye. And then this stretch is quite interesting. This one hurts. October 15th, NC State in the Dome. October 22nd at Clemson, October 29th, Notre Dame in the dome. That is a rough three game stretch. Uh, Syracuse even finds a way to win one of those three. I think that, that they're doing pretty good. You win two and you're in amazing shape. November 5th at Pittsburgh, November 12th, Florida state. And then Syracuse ends the season with back-to-back road games at wake forest and at Boston college. Uh, Your initial thoughts on Syracuse's schedule for next season. My initial thoughts are October looks like death, Um, not including October 1st, by the way, I won't include Wagner in this, but October, October is going to hurt, especially with where the buy is and where the games quote unquote start. And I'm saying this, assuming those first five games are easier because they are Um, like no offense, UConn and Wagner, but they don't scare me. Um, That, that October 15th to realistically November 12th through Florida state terrifies me. The last two games are, could be toss ups. First five are okay, but those middle five, uh, uh-uh. Nope. I, and you know, I, I look at this in two ways. One Syracuse could win their first five games, start the season five and zero. Oh, and a bowl game is not guaranteed because your last seven games are NC state at Clemson, Notre Dame at Pitt, Florida state at wake at BC. Would it really surprise anyone if Syracuse lost all of those games? I mean, I don't think that they would lose seven in a row to end the season, but that's, you could play good football and lose to those teams. That's, that's reality. I the would other way, not, I would not bet on Syracuse in any of those games. <laughs> no. So the, the other, the other way I look at it is, Looking at the non-conference schedule versus the conference schedule, even though you open with a conference game, it doesn't work this way chronologically, but this is kind of how I break it up. You've got four non-conference games. UConn and Wagner are both games you should win, right? If you're going to be a bold game and you're going to take a step forward as a program, those are games you should win. You win both of those games. Your other two are Purdue and Notre Dame. If you figure out a way to split those, so you're three and one in the non-conference, similar to what Syracuse did last year with Liberty and, and Rutgers, then you have to go three and five in your ACC schedule to get to a bowl game. So under 500. Um, and the issue with Syracuse is they went two and six last year in the non-conference instead of three and five. They went three and one in, in the non-conference. Uh, I think you got to do that again and hope that, based on who you get at home versus who you get on the road. And when you're playing those, those games that, you know, it's, it'll be this Florida state, for example, last year, Syracuse got them. I think at almost the worst possible time they were Oh, and four, they were playing with a chip on their shoulder to try to get a win. You had played them a week before, you know, perhaps Syracuse wins that game, but that's, you know, it is what it is. So that's kind of how I view it. There's some tough stretches. There's some tough games. There's no doubt, but um, you know, things change year to year. Who knows by the time you get to the end of the season, is Pittsburgh going to be what they were last year with no Kenny Pickett, a new offensive coordinator. Um, You know, don't hate on Keaton Slovis. Don't hate on him. I don't hate on him, but I mean, Pittsburgh Syracuse was competitive with Pittsburgh last year when Kenny Pickett was a Heisman trophy finalist. So I don't go into that game thinking that, you know, even if Slovis is playing really well, that that's a game Syracuse can't be competitive in. Um, Syracuse beat Boston College last year. Seems like every time Syracuse plays Wake Forest, it goes into overtime. Um, Syracuse NC State have had some close games. Uh, you know, last year, similarly, was was a close game that, that Syracuse had a shot to you know, it, even though NC State ended up pulling away, I think that was a closer game than the final score indicated. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, interesting, interesting the way that 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 schedule was was put together and how 
you know, Syracuse opening with a conference game and then the game against Wagner, which usually figures going to be in the first few games, isn't until, you know, your fifth game of the season. Um, very interesting to say the least, but let's get into the big news, which is Syracuse basketball looking like a competent basketball team playing its best half of basketball of the entire season in the second half against Wake Forest, blowing out the Demon Deacons 94 to 72. This was such a much needed win, Kyle. I think not only for the team, for the program, but for the fans, there was a lot of negativity surrounding this team, surrounding the way that the season was going, understandably so. But this, you know, kind of looked like what I think a lot of people expected that this team would be all season and gave you a glimpse of hope that even though the season to date hasn't gone the way that anyone expected or thought it could or had hoped that down the stretch of the season, it's not just going to fall apart and they're going to lose six or seven end the season. They're going to keep playing and and fighting and scrapping and, and trying to string some wins together. So I think it was encouraging to see that and, um, you know, a much needed dose of positivity with the way the season has gone. It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. Oh, it was very much needed, this win. I mean, we've said it, it's, it has not been good um, in the slightest for us. This game feels like it came out of nowhere, as I said earlier that all of a sudden we just kind of exploded. Um, and I mean, scoring 55 in the second half, if you play the second half two times, you're on pace to hit 110. Um, you win a lot of games scoring that. Yeah. That, yeah. You win a lot of games playing that level offense. That's the, the, the best way to put it. Um, and I believe, and I do want to bring up the fans. I don't know exactly where it was, but I believe it was a certain other podcasting group put out the tweet which was that they don't hope fans go to the game because of just, it's not worth going there. Um, show the team. Like we, we discussed this last episode, show the team that like we're fighting against them because they're playing poorly. We need change, whatever. And we said it, it's a bad idea. It's not going to work, whatever. Um, and as someone who students, like fans always come in clutch, Cuse's, uh, fans have been exceptional this past year um, as a student myself. Um, we turned up as the best way to put it in the nicest way possible. Um, it was called the blizzard. It was promoted two weeks in advance, put it everywhere. There was white shirts for everybody. Students filling like six sections all the way up to the top of the dome. Amazing. It was a lot. Um and then you have the Antetokounmpo brothers. You had Giannis and Thanasis there with Adam Weitzman. Uh, that added a little bit of something, something to the game. And, you know, the Bengals this week, they made the Super Bowl. They had Joe Shiesty. Joe Shiesty, Joe Cool, Joe Burr, whatever you want to call him. He got the job done in Kansas City. Well, we've got Buddy Buckets. And man, oh, man, did he get the job done this week. Yeah, I mean, crazy, crazy weekend of sports, uh, no doubt. But... You know, it, it the concepts of and I believe the exact quote or the exact post was something about, um, you know, I hope that less than 10,000 fans show up to the next game um, and for the rest of the season. The only way to prove a point is to embarrass the program. And I just I don't understand that mentality. And I got to say that I am tremendously impressed with the students for responding the way they did and for the community to respond the way they did. There was 23,000 fans there, which yeah, for a big game at Syracuse, you're used to 28 to 30,000, but it's still COVID time. So it's still different that 23,000 was the largest crowd at a basketball game so far this season. 
for a college. This is, by the way, a random game when we're nine and 11 against Wake Forest. Right. And Wake Forest, while very good this season, and, and personally, I think they should have been ranked, but they weren't ranked. This wasn't a top 15 team. This wasn't Duke that no matter how good or not good Duke is, you're always going to attract the crowd because it's Duke. Same thing with the North Carolina. This wasn't one of those. This is Wake Forest that, yes, they have a tremendous history. Chris Paul, Tim Duncan, you know, they've had some really good players come through that program. Uh, it's a good historic program uh, within the ACC, but the last several years, they haven't been very good. Um, They've been a losing team and uh, the job that they've done with uh, their new, their new head coach um, turning this program around as quickly as he has to, to get them to be one of the better teams in the conference. He's done a tremendous job with them. And yes, they're really good this year. They're a tournament team. Uh, They're a team that, that was in the discussion for, for, you know, the top of the standings in the ACC. And I think if they had beaten Syracuse, they probably are ranked in, in the latest polls, but um, you know, that this wasn't a Duke that would just, or even a Georgetown historic rival or a UConn or something like that, that would naturally attract a crowd. Um, This was, you know, I think because of the, of the student section and the blizzard that, that they promoted. And I think part partially because of having Giannis there and uh, making it a little bit more of an event. And then I think there was probably a little bit of, of outrage at the suggestion that now is the time to abandon the team. And, you know, as someone who grew up in this area and went to games as a kid, you know, I, I thought it was pretty cool to see the way that they responded. And, um, you know, the, the way that I put it is, you know, this team has given you 45 years of winning basketball. They have one season where they're not playing winning basketball. This is the time when you as a fan base need to show that support back and say, you know what? You've had our back for 45 years. We've got yours for the 46 because you need it right now. And, <clears throat> you know, yes, they were 9-11 and 11 going into the game. They're still 10-11. and 11. They're still under 500. But... You, you can't tell me that any of the kids on that team aren't likable kids. They're not easy to support, even if they're not playing well, you know, they're not, they're not, not playing well, but also getting in trouble off the court. You know, they, they're not gesturing and yelling at fans and making crude comments on social media. So they're not likable people. So that makes it, I think pretty easy to support, even if they're not playing well. So that was really cool to see, but um, the, the main thing from, from an X's and O standpoint that I took away Yeah, they played awesome offensively, especially in the second half. But it was the defense to me. They really, that took the game from being one that Syracuse could win and maybe wins by six to eight to 10 points and made it a blowout. Was getting out on shooters, more activity, still gave up some open looks. They're going to. This isn't a great defensive team. They forced 11 turnovers in the second half, 17 overall. They got out in transition off of those turnovers. It was the activity. It was the effort. It was the energy. It was the rotations. It was everything. It was the best they've looked, the most comfortable they've looked on the defensive end of the floor all season. And that was, I think, what sparked the way that they played. And I think is encouraging that you've started to see some signs with defensive improvement that perhaps, and we'll get into this a little bit later, that this could be a turning point of the season where they could start to rattle off some wins. It could be. And I also want to chuck this in there because I this is something we didn't discuss last episode in as much detail as it should have, which is sometimes fans not going to games helps, but that only helps in professional sports where the athletes don't need the pump-up energy. But if you're Joe Girard, you are a senior. I'm a senior in college. He's my age. If he sees his peers jumping up and down, getting rowdy, he's going to have more energy. He's going to get fired up. That's just how it's going to work in college. So yes, sometimes not going to games could do something if it's professional sports. But if you're a college kid, having that crowd, no matter what school you're at, if you have a huge crowd like, like you did there, it makes a difference. And Wake's coach talked about it. He was like, yeah, the student section was crazy. It was, it was insane. Yeah. Dang straight. Um, but as you said, though, yes, we played better. We felt comfortable the first half, whatever it was 50, 50, it was 42, 39 at the end of it. That's a 
a middle, that's the middle of the road, but what you expect this team to play all year as whatever. But man, as you said, that second half, they just, they closed out well, created turnovers. They're what they had to do, which is big. We got 10 minutes from Benny, huge fan of that. 17 from Frank, huge fan of that. Six from Samir coming off injury. That's okay. It's cool. But getting 17 and 10 from Benny and Frank is the start of positivity. And they played well. The starters, obviously, second half, Jim didn't want to take them out because they were playing so well. That shows you where they were at. When a team is playing that well and your team is playing that well, and you don't want to change it up, even though players are tired because they're just playing so well, that's, that's a good problem to have. I'm okay with that. If this team played like that every half, we would be breezing through this. But yeah. hopefully this is the turning point, as you said. And, and Wake Forest came into the game as the number two scoring offense in the ACC, the number one shooting offense in the ACC overall. Um, so, you know, the, the fact that that Syracuse held them to 72 points, which is seven points below their average. But again, that second half, they only scored 30 points. That's on pace for 60 for a game, which tells you, you know, that's that's about 18 points below what their season average is. Um, on the season, they're shooting 48.6%. Syracuse held them to 42% in the second half. Um, in the first half, Wake was seven for 15, which is 47% from three. In the second half, they were four for 12, 33%. So, you know, everything was just so much better in the second half. It looked like things finally clicked. Um, so I think that's that's pretty encouraging. But go ahead, Kyle. Also, outside of Williamson, no one could buy a bucket for them. That he was the only player who did anything for them. We were locking down everywhere. And if you only let one player do anything offensively, that is perfect. That you play this well and only one player can do anything. And he had 27, which 27 points in 30 minutes, and he only took 16 shots. Yes. That he was playing lights out, but no one else could put anything on the board. Buddy dropped 30. It was a duel, and Buddy won because he's never going to lose a duel. We know that. It, that's just how it works. And when you play that well defensively and it turns into offense with the turnovers, with getting out in transition well, it leads to like this team just rolling. As soon as they get one bucket and the second bucket and third, and it just starts to slowly roll and roll and roll and roll. As soon as that boulder is halfway down the hill, it is hitting a top speed. And that's what this offense is. As soon as they get anything going, as soon as Buddy makes one random pull up three, like from like 30 feet, it's it's game over. As soon as Joe chucks one up and it, it swishes, what are you gonna do? Yeah, and and Williamson, he's he's really good, by the way. Uh, but the, Wake's best player is Adonis Williams. He leads the ACC in scoring, and he came into that game averaging more than 20 points a game. He scored eight on three of ten shooting. Um, and I think six of those points were in the first half. So wakes of wakes, five starters, only one was in double figures. Four of Syracuse's five starters were in double figures. I mean this, and again, wake wake forest is one of the best offensive teams in the league and Syracuse shut them down in the second half, which, which I don't think anybody, um, thought was capable, but to your point about buddy and, and the duel, um, buddy with 30 points, 12 to 21 shooting six for 11 from three, when he gets going and he starts basically making anytime you give him a sliver of a look, um, that energizes the entire team. We, we saw it last year, right? When he started going on that big run towards the end of the season and into the ACC tournament and then into the NCAA tournament that um, it gives the rest of the team a little bit of swagger. And it's almost like they feel like we know that Buddy's going to put up a bunch of points. So we're good. We know we're going to win this game because Buddy's not going to let us lose it. And they played like that in this game. And it's the first time that maybe the Indiana game a little bit, um, but it was the first time that that Buddy really went off and had one of those games. And then you saw Cole Swider's energy pick up, Joe Girard's energy pick up. Um, you know, the guys off the bench came in and, and then they everybody was feeding off the crowd and, um, you know, Jimmy Bayheim only had five shots, 
but he did a little bit of everything. He had six points, four rebounds, three assists, two steals. Um, it was it was just exactly what you thought that this team could be. And, and Buddy, to his credit, yeah, he took twenty one shots, made a bunch of a bunch of buckets, bunch from the outside, scored those thirty points. He did a bunch of other things as well. He had seven assists, five rebounds, and three steals. I mean, he was he did everything in this game, and that it makes such a difference for this team when he plays to that level. Uh, especially when you know the other team is focusing on shutting him down as the number one thing to do defensively. Everyone knows Buddy. This is Buddy Bayheim. Everyone knows that's that's him. We just haven't seen it all year. And that's been a big part of the problem with the team is that we've said it multiple times now that the start of the season felt like the same as last year where he just wasn't clicking. It wasn't getting there. If this is when he starts to click and he starts to get these high 20, low 30 point games and just starts rattling them off one after the other into that ACC tournament, all of a sudden you feel a little bit better. You start feeling like, okay, maybe something's brewing there. Maybe we got a little bit more hope than we thought we did. And then it all starts snowballing into what this game was, which is, again, as you said, if he gets hot, there's nothing you'll stop. And Hearing the student section cheer of Buddy Beheim three is unlike anything I've felt that the only comparison I have in terms of being a Q student is a Sean Tucker touchdown run. That is the only comparison I have to energy. Even when we're down by 20, if he makes a three, the student section erupts and it goes bananas. If Joe makes one, we go, woo. Okay, cool. If he makes one, it is just an eruption of energy. And then all of a sudden he feeds off of that. And then he makes another one and then the students get loud and the rest of the stadium gets loud. And then as we've said, it just builds and builds and builds. And oh, look at that. We're up by 22 and the game's over. Yeah, I, it was, it was quite a, uh, quite a game. The atmosphere was unbelievable. Um, yeah. Just, just a, a lot of fun to see. I th- and I think, you know, it was good to see, the players having fun, the crowd having fun, um, you know, social media was actually pleasant during the game, which hasn't happened much this season. So, uh, you know, good for all of that. I think, you know, the next place I want to go, you kind of mentioned it was the contributions from the bench and Frank Anselm was fantastic, especially in that first half. He had, uh, I think all seven of his points came in that first half, but, um, he had a couple of dunks, made three free throws, had six rebounds in 17 minutes, which, which was really good. He actually led the team in rebounds um, and was uh, had the second most rebounds of anybody in the entire game, despite only playing 17 minutes. And we mentioned Benny Williams. We've talked about him in his playing time, played 10 minutes all in the first half. He had three rebounds, a steal. He just looked more comfortable and in the flow, like he wasn't forcing anything. He drew a foul and made a free throw. Samir Torrance came in and played six minutes, two points and two assists. Um, he didn't look like he was suffering any wear and tear from that injury. Didn't look like it hampered him much at all. So the fact that those three guys came in and all played substantial minutes in that first half I think was, was good. It shows that they're playing well in practice, that, that Benny is getting better. We know that Jim Beheim said on Thursday, a couple of days before this game, that Benny Williams had had his best practice of the season and that they had a discussion afterwards, Benny and, and Jim did um, about that and about that. That's what they've been trying to get him to do all season and perhaps that means that a light bulb has gone off um, and, and you never know exactly when that's going to be. But I thought that was encouraging to see his play support the statement that that coach had made about how he was doing in practice. Um, and I know that none of them got into the second half and coach Beheim was asked about that after the game. And I thought his comment made a lot of sense. It, it was essentially, and I'm paraphrasing that the starters were playing so well they were so cohesive, so together, they had so much momentum that taking them out would have been counterproductive because, yes, you wanted to get those other guys minutes and they deserved it because of how they played in the first half. But you've also got a really good offensive team in the other on the other side. And if you put your three bench guys in with eight minutes to go and you've got a 20 point lead or an 18 point lead, they hit three threes in a row. All of a sudden, you know, it's an eight point game. 
And you're going, well, why did you take those other guys out? Could Syracuse get that momentum back? You know, so there's some that those are decisions as a head coach you have to make. And he elected to keep him in and it worked. Um, so I don't, I don't have an issue with it, but um, obviously they're not going to play to that level every single game. So I think it's encouraging what we saw from the bench, especially Benny Williams. And hopefully that means more from them going forward. I, you know, if Jim Beheim says the second half, they're playing so well that I don't want to take them out. Totally cool with that. If, if we, if we play that well in the second half, then he doesn't want to take the starters out for Benny Williams and Frank and Samir. I hold my hands up and say, cool, you do you. That is no problem here because man, they were playing well. Um, yeah, beat everybody by 20 points and no one's going to complain. Yeah. Sense. Not mad, but as you, they got 10 minutes in the first half for Benny and 17 for Frank. That's a lot. That is a mm-hmm. large chunk of playing time. That is good. That is a positive sign. And Samir has took him off that injury. So he didn't play a crazy amount, which I'm totally cool with. Like this felt like the step in the right direction. And if, if Benny's practice was good, great. Again, I've seen my piece on practice. I, I said some Allen Iverson quotes, but if he plays well in practice and then the light bulb goes off and all of a sudden he becomes a contributor, he becomes number seven for this team. Frank becomes number eight. Maybe Barama comes in a little bit here and there. I mean, I'll never complain at all about any of it. Uh, I also would love to give uh, some a shout out and some love to uh, two players in particular. One, the cult hero, Patty Casey, um, had himself a bucket. And I think that should be talked about because he is a king. And then the buzzer beater by uh, Arthur Cordez, who was from the town next to me. I played him in basketball. Uh, back when I was back in high school, shout out to him. Had a buzzer beating three. It was beautiful. Don't erupt it. Um, overall, I mean, the entire game was perfect. <laughs> Can't complain. Not at all. Um, and you know, there, there was, there was another significant, um, performance, I think from two players actually in this game, Jesse Edwards and Cole Swider. Both of them had good games. Um, Jim Bayheim said he thought it was the best that Cole Swider had played for Syracuse this season. Jesse Edwards, when you look at his stat line, you say, yeah, it was okay. He had 12 points. Okay. Only had two rebounds, two steals and a block. But the thing about Jesse in this game that, that was encouraging was he picked up two fouls in the first half. I thought both of them were questionable. He comes out in the second half and in the first minute and a half picks up his third foul. And typically this season, when that has happened, Bayheim takes him out, puts in Frank Anselm or Brahma for a few minutes or goes with a bigger lineup, whatever the case is. Um, and in this game, he left Jesse out and it was basically, you got to figure out how to play with three fouls. And Jesse played almost 12 minutes of game time before he picked up his fourth. I thought that was extremely encouraging that Jesse is starting to understand how to play with foul trouble, which is critical for him and, and, and his development. Now you want to try to minimize how often you're in foul trouble, of course, but I think there's a little bit of, he's being officiated to his reputation that he fouls people a lot as opposed to what he's actually doing, because I do think he's getting better with his hands going straight up. And there's a little bit of anticipation that he's going to foul before he actually does. Uh, But that'll change as, as he continues to, to get better with that. So I thought that was extremely encouraging. Cole Swider was eight for 11 shooting scored 18 points. Second most um, on Syracuse. And two for two from three, four rebounds and assists and a steal. But it was the fact that any time that he had a glimpse, he shot. He was extremely confident. He was energetic. He was better defensively, not getting out of position as much. Um, and 
he put the ball on the floor, got into the lane, did a little a little bit of those things that we've seen Buddy develop over the last couple of years where he's not just a standstill shooter. Got into the lane. He's got a little bit of smaller defender on him, so he shot over him a couple of times um, and got to those spots. So the combination of seeing Swider do a little bit more offensively and have it work with Jesse Edwards playing through foul trouble I thought were two pretty significant parts of, of how this game played out. This game also played out with Joe Girard not doing a crazy amount in terms of scoring that normally he's the number two scorer. He does, he's lighting it up. He's chucking up shots from everywhere, left, right, and center four for 11, one from three from one for three from three, not a crazy stat line. 13 points is whatever from him. That's a below average game. And even without that Cole played well, offensively jesse did well obviously we discussed buddy ad nauseum by now um if cole can play this well consistently or even 80 percent of this and we get more joe all of a sudden the offense which is the thing we've said all year is the best part of it of this team the offense just is that point would be unstoppable because again J- jimmy didn't even play well either neither did jesse offensively jesse wasn't crazy good he was about average but jimmy and Joe didn't play off offensively. If we got that same production from Cole, from Benny, and then got those two playing well offensively, man, we could put up 100 points in a game pretty easily at that point. Yeah. I mean, as as we said, they were on pace based on the, what they did in the second half to score 110 for a game. So, um, yeah, it was, it was very encouraging. And I think that the biggest thing about this was the energy and the confidence level that they played with and and what reason if we're being realistic right what reason would they have to be confident they were 9-11 coming into this game they had just been blown out in back-to-back games won by a really bad team and nobody even the biggest orange colored glasses diehard ridiculously optimistic Syracuse fan was believing in this team that they were going to turn it around, win a bunch of games and end up being a good team by the end of the year. The belief in this team from the outside was minimal at best. And yet they came out like they've won seven games in a row. They think they are the best team in the country and they're fighting for a top three or four seed in the NCAA tournament. That's what they that's the type of swagger and confidence that they came out with. And you typically don't see that in teams that aren't playing well and teams that are under 500 at this point in the season. And there's all this swirling negativity about them. And I think that's a credit to the coaching staff for keeping everybody positive and belief into what they're doing, their ability to bring the players along to play better basketball as the year goes along. And then also to the players for continuing to stay together for believing in the system, not letting this negativity and the poor performance fracture them. Um, I think this has the potential to be a turning point that, you know, I, I think we'll figure this out in the very next game, but if they come out and play really well in the very next game, it's possible that we end up looking back on this as a turning point that, that got things going um, at least in terms of playing good basketball for the rest of the season. Something I think people forget sometimes myself included is that these guys are all college kids. They read social media. They do interviews. They do media stuff. They see what we're talking about. They possibly, but he listens to us and he's like, Oh, wow. Kyle and Mike were ripping me apart. Oh, I, I need to, I, I, he hears that. They all hear it all. So at some point, they're going to be like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just go. Because they hear our noise. They understand that they're a better team. We've said all year, they're a better team than they've been playing. We recognize that. Buddy has not played well. Joe has been a very up and down. Cole has not played well. Jesse keeps fouling out of games. Jimmy's been very hit or miss. Samir's been okay. Benny and Frank have barely played off the bench. They, they've seen this narrative that they're not a good team, but we know they're better than they are. And they finally said, okay, 
Let's just do it. And as you said, if they can keep this, if they take what they did this game against Wake Forest and they can go into this next 10 games and start just rattling off wins, this becomes a lot more fun uh, season-wise. We're Again, we're sitting at 10 and 11, which is not very close to being anywhere even in the stratosphere of uh, going to the tournament, we would need to start rattling off some wins. If there is any time to do it, it is right, right now with 10 games left in the AC tournament game to go, assuming there's just one of them at minimum. That is 11 games. We need to, to keep the, the Jim Beheim record alive. We got to go six and five, which decently easy at this point. Uh, as we said, it didn't look easy as of before last game, but if we play like that, I mean, six to five is a cakewalk. Um, but man, I, they, sports is a very narrative shifting world. We shift narratives like every other day, but man, did they shift the narrative. It, it did. I, I don't know if you can go more than a 180 and backwards, but they did that. They, they hit the ball backwards 400 feet over the, over the fence of the stadium behind them. I, I don't know what happened. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, I mean, looking ahead to to what the schedule is, you know, you mentioned you mentioned tournament team and, and just for fun, right? So if they've got oh boy, 10, oh boy, here we go. got ten regular season games left. If you want to put yourself anywhere near a bubble discussion, you probably need to go eight and two at worst in the last yeah, 10 games. Sounds about right. Right. So that would put you at 18 and 13. Uh now does does that get Syracuse in? You might then need to win a couple games in the ACC tournament to give yourself a shot. Let's say you're 20 and 14. Is it ridiculous for a 20 and 14 team to get in the tournament? It's not ridiculous. They'd probably still be on the outside looking in. We'd have to look at a lot of the metrics and see where they ended up in the net and you know the good wins and bad losses. We know they've got three bad losses, Pittsburgh, Colgate, and Georgetown, but um, you know it, that would at least put you to the point where you can start comparing resumes. Um, and I think most Syracuse fans would just say, yeah, you know, if, if you miss and you go to the NIT, you say, you know what? It was a year where it just took us a little bit too long to figure things out. Fine. You can, you can kind of live with that, but um, you know, let, outside of that, you know, if we're looking at um, how does Syracuse get on a little bit of a win streak here, even if you're, your focus isn't the tournament, but mainly keeping that, that streak alive that we talked about the last several episodes. Um, I think it starts with, with trying to win probably at least of your next six games, probably five of them. Um, and, and here's how the schedule breaks down. They play at NC state on Wednesday. Then they play Louisville at home on Saturday. And then they play at Boston college the following Tuesday. NC state has lost it's four out of five or five out of six, one of the two. They are second to last in the ACC. They're 10 and 12 on the season. They're three and eight in conference. They're having a really down year. Now they've got some good players on their team, some players that are going to challenge Syracuse. It's at their place. They just got blown out by their rival, North Carolina. So yeah, there's there's the possibility that you're going to get um, a good performance from them. Um Darian Sebron is their number legit. one player. He's legit. He averages 18 points and nine rebounds a game as, as a six, seven forward. He's, he's a good player, but uh, that's not a game that you go into saying, you know, man, this is, this is going to be a really tough one for Syracuse to win. So if you're going to start trying to get on a little bit of a streak here, that's a game that you should go into their place and win Louisville coming to the dome. Louisville is 11 and 10. They're five and six on the conference in the conference, but they just fired their head coach. So there's a lot of stuff going on with them. Um, you know what? And you get them at home. So that's encouraging. Now, Syracuse did, I'm sorry, Louisville did just play Duke at home in Louisville's, their, their interim head coach's debut. And played him kind of tough. You know, it was, it was a nine-point Duke win, but uh, Louisville played pretty well in that game. And before they play Syracuse, they get North Carolina. 
at home. Um, but I don't think that that's a game that Syracuse should look at and say, again, that's going to be a really tough game. That's a game that if you're starting to play well, getting them at home, you should win. Then you get Boston College in two of the next three games, first at their place, then in the Dome. Boston College is not very good. Uh, they're they're four and six in conference, nine and eleven overall. Um, you know they've they've played some good games or whatever, but but that's a team that Syracuse should be better than it should win. In between the Boston College games, you have at Virginia Tech. That's the one game that I look at and go, I know Virginia Tech's just eleven and ten. They're three and seven in conference, but they just won a game. I believe it was at North Carolina, perhaps. I'm no, sorry, it was they, at Florida State. Yeah. It was at Florida State where they shot ridiculously well. 18 for 25 from three, 72% oh from oh three. Boy. Right. Um, 61% overall. They scored 85 points. Um, 46 of which were in the second half. That's, I mean, it, it was on an otherworldly shooting performance. Now they got out rebounded because they're not a very big team. Um, they've got Kiva Luma who is six, nine, who's, who's their biggest player. Um, they've got another interior guy, Justin Mutz, who's six, seven and a forward that they bring off the bench. Who's also six, nine, but he's a skinny six, nine. Um, and otherwise it's a bunch of guards, but they can, they can really shoot and you're playing at their place and they play pretty well at their place. So that's going to be a tough game to win. Uh, but then after that, you've got Boston college at home and Georgia tech at home. Those are both teams that you should be better than, especially at home. So the, the schedule coming up lends itself to, if you're turning a corner and playing better basketball, that you could start rattling off some wins here. If you can, as you said, rattle off, Realistically, if this team can hit these six games in a row, if by some stretch of whatever we go six straight wins, we're 16 and 11 heading into Notre Dame, Duke, UNC, and Miami, I feel really good all of a sudden. And if you can beat one of the Duke or UNCs, if you can beat one of those two, that is a really nice win on your record. It looks real good. Miami wouldn't look bad either. Same with Notre Dame. But if you can beat one of the Carolina teams, ooh, ooh, this gets interesting. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, too, so these next six games, none of those help your resume. No. Okay, I mean, let's, not let's, even, let's not be honest. Not even no, close. No, because no, none of them are tournament teams um, as of right now. Neither is Syracuse right now. But just, you know. But at Notre Dame, uh, I know Notre Dame lost to Duke today, but they're tied for third in the conference right now they're 14 and seven and they've got some good wins on their resume they're they're a solid team a win there would be borderline quad one you might have a shot at making that a quad one game because i think on the road quad one i think it's top 75 i think if if you're on the road something something funky right and and i believe um notre dame um should end up in that in that spot so um that would be a huge win. Um, it's going to be tough. They've got some really good players. They played really well this year. Uh, Notre Dame has, but um, you know, if if you want to try and see, they're 68th in in, in the net right now after um, after their loss yeah. today. But but after um, that though, you then get Duke at home for the last Coach K versus Beheim Bowl in. Uh, the dome. Yep. I know that tickets for that game are going to be gone. They always are for Duke games. I was at the um, 2019 game, the, the Zion cam reddish RJ Barrett game where Zion didn't play. That was the most absurd stadium I've ever seen. And I would expect this to be around on par with it. Um, I would be betting. So you're you're hitting again. We just hit the record for most, uh, like attendance uh, in the college basketball season, this is going to shatter it. That's pretty obvious. Um, like tickets were expensive for this game. I can't even imagine what this game might look like fan wise. And if you get a star to come out, I'm guessing someone will be there. We might, if I don't know what their Lakers schedule is, but if Melo's in town, he might come up. If it's the last uh, coach K Bayheim bowl, he might be there. Who knows? 
maybe get a Duke guy or two to come up and you just knock the door, knock the brakes off of them. Then you go into those last two games feeling real good, feeling real good. Um, if this team plays this well, they make this a lot more interesting at the end of the season. And if you said, if we go eight and two and then say rattle off two or three wins, they see tournament. We're looking at that. Like you're weird, in the discussion. We, we are at the, we're at the always there Syracuse spot where we could get in. We couldn't get in. Who knows? Joe Lardy will not put us in, but we'll make it anyway. Just because just to spite him, we always do it every year. Right. And, and if Joe Lenardi has you out, that probably means you're in. So, I mean, Bingo. that's, that's the, the good thing there, but I mean, in all seriousness, your, your last four games of, of the season um, with Duke at North Carolina, uh, Notre Dame and Miami, um, you, you've got, those are three of them are going to be quad one opportunities. North Carolina is in the top 40 in the net. So that's going to be top 75 being down in their place. That will be a quad one chance. Um, Duke is going to be somewhere in the top 15, top 10 in the net by the time this thing is all said and done. Um, So that's going to be a quad one opportunity. Notre Dame, as we said, it would be surprising if they fell outside of the top 75, barring them losing a bunch of games in a row. Um, So that should be a quad one opportunity. Miami is going to be somewhere in the 50s or 60s since you get them at home. That's not going to be quad one, but it will be quad two. So if you start to rattle off a bunch of wins here, you win five, six, seven in a row, go up to, to those last three, four games, then you've got opportunities to bolster your resume. Um, so it's it's interesting the way it plays out. Uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on that and and see if this does indeed turn into a turning point uh, that that I think all Syracuse fans are hoping uh, that it is. But that'll do it for episode 32 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I'm Mike McAllister for Kyle F, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.